Welcome back to Judging Book Covers Podcast, a bi-weekly book club podcast, where I usually bring on two guests to read a book and talk about it. Uh, due to some technical difficulties this week, uh, I've got a little bit of a special, I guess. Um, I have brought back one of our guests, who I think is probably the most expert on horror books, and since it's October, I figured that would be a good thing to talk about. How are you doing, James? Doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Outstanding. <laughs> um, it's been a while since we've talked, so um, sounds like you've had a lot going on. Well, laundry, but yeah. I mean, yes, I, I didn't mean like, as in, in today, I mean... Oh. The- podcasting world but yes yes, yes. If, if if you want to go back and listen to the episodes that i guested on <laughs> the uh, podcast that i was proto plugging has actually happened and you can find me on uh over the tabletop at over the tabletop.libsyn.com or on facebook or on twitter or basically i think we're towards the upper bounds of the google results if you search over the tabletop uh, cool. so go with that and um, more to announce towards the end of the episode, something super secret to discuss, but we'll get to that when we get to that. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, so yeah, not I didn't ask for any specific book. I just kind of wanted to talk about horror books this episode. Um, I guess I consider you my expert, but uh, how many horror books have you read in life? Um, I have read very many of them. <laughs> I grew up towards the tail end of paperback horror fiction as a really viable genre. (laughs) Uh, It kind of peaked in the 70s and 80s and then started tapering out towards the 90s. And nowadays, all of the, the niche genres, and I think that horror is back to being a niche genre, have transitioned for the most part into um, self-published ebook sorts of things or whatever published through amazon is sort of crypto self-publishing uh but but that uh so i grew up reading horror paperbacks and i continue to read horror paperbacks as a grown-up um i'm looking at my bookshelves right now and there are very 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 many horror paperbacks (laughs) uh to hand I uh, I can see the ones in the background, but you keep looking to your left and right. So I'm assuming there are more bookshelves. That I just yes, yes, there are very, very <laughs> many bookshelves. And there's another one, uh, another two in the bedroom. So many books, many bookshelves. Very I actually nice. need to build new ones. But anyway. <laughs> um, so this podcast is, you know, primarily supposed to be about judging books by its cover and books that you wouldn't necessarily read. Um, so let's talk about horror book covers. Are there anything about horror book covers that will automatically attract you to pick it up and read it? Grady Hendrix actually recently published a book about this very thing called Paperbacks from Hell. And I haven't had a chance to pick it up yet, but I have thumbed through it. And it is entirely about horror paperbacks of the 70s and 80s. And there is a certain uh, received style of a lot of them that I love, which is very simple titles like The Rats or (laughs) Catacombs or Necroscope or Curfew or whatever. One word titles. I was going to say as close to one word titles as you can get. (laughs) Right. Uh, Swan Song, Stinger, um, (laughs) The Bridge, Dead Rush. You know, just words that can be 
not only one word, but one short word, so you can really put it in giant letters. Or or silver sometimes. Like a red, yeah, there's a um, bloody looking font. There sometimes. is a. I'll have to take a picture of this the next time I'm walking <laughs> past it. But there is a uh, address sign around the corner from my apartment that ha- has 511A written on it, and it manages to look like a horror cover from the 70s or 80s. Uh, <laughs> so I will. I I collect horror paperbacks honestly because it reminds me of my childhood. And so there are a lot of them that are really, really bad and dumb. And I think another thing that has happened is that with the popularity of Netflix and Hulu and various other streaming services that are still largely dependent on others' content is that you'll have uh, people who would write B-horror books now might write B-horror movies. And... Um, that kind of carries on in the, 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 the tradition. You've got stuff like the shrine or the pact or the ax murders of villanesca or, uh, you know, a, a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, but it's the same sort of aesthetic, very simple titles in very large bloody letters. Uh, but anything with that, I will at least pick up and, and flip through. So is there anything that a horror book cover can have that will make you automatically not buy it? Automatically not buy it? I don't think so. I mean, I, I can't I can't recall the time where a cover has so aggressively put me off that I I didn't buy that that I was like this is why I am not buying the book. Um now as I as I mentioned, like I have bought some books and i have not liked them um so i've been i've been burned by that and i could probably stand to be more discerning in my taste but at the same time the good thing about collecting horror paperbacks is that you can find them used for like a dollar and so if i if i really don't like it then i can burn it for fuel or something (laughs) like that and and get my use out of that way what about what about modern horror books? I mean, you keep going back to the 70s and 80s, which I know is like your brand of horror, but horror is still written right. today. Uh, yeah. The thing is, the last the last horror book I read was Dracula, and that doesn't count. And before that, the last horror book I read was Enter Night, which right. you did on your podcast, and is very much written in the 70s and 80s mode. Now, there are still some authors working today uh, that I like. Thomas Ligotti is a contemporary author, but he writes in a sort of weird fiction mode. Same with Laird Barron, uh, who who writes in a, a, a Lovecraftian mode, and it's all very, very classic. Uh, it, it, there's a there's a podcast pseudopod is the name of the podcast and it's devoted to horror short fiction by modern authors and i i listened to that for a while and it kind of uh just slipped off my radar and i need to go back to that uh but i've also been listening to a lot of hp podcraft which is a deeper dive into horror short fiction and occasional longer fiction but even they they have a rule where uh, they don't do living authors, so you're getting. Gotcha. I, I mean, they did. They did. T, they did Ted Klein, who's still alive, but that was a that was a special case. 
so it's it's hard for me to really comment on the the modern scene. Now that said, there are some books on my Amazon wish list that I want to buy. Um, well, Gateways. Say, you mentioned yeah. Grady Hendrix, who is a modern day horror. Yep. I mean, he doesn't have a ton, but uh, like, what do you think of his stuff? I've I dug Horror Store. I haven't read. Uh, I haven't read my best friend's Exorcism. Okay. Uh, I've had Gateways to Abomination by Matthew M. Bartlett on my wish list for a while, and that came out in 2014. Uh, so that definitely counts. And and usually what I'll do is I'll be bored at work and I'll just follow the people who bought this also bought thing okay. on Amazon for a while. But the, but I'm so I'm so sh- averse to purchasing ebooks that I haven't pulled the trigger on hardly any of them. <laughs> um, but at the same time, there's there are 50 books on my wish list that if I found them as a ratty paperback copy, I would buy them immediately because I just wasn't made for these times. I can agree with that. So are there any horror authors that if you stumble across a book, you're immediately going to pick up no questions asked, even if it ends up being the worst book ever? I will. (sighs) Okay. um... (laughs) Sarah Langan. Okay. Uh, who is who is actually a, a modern author uh, working, you know, in the, the 2000s. Uh, she did The Missing. She did The Keeper. She did Audrey's Door. Uh, and I will pick up any book by her that I see. But she's not very... She's only done three books in however many years. Um, Brian Lumley who has been writing since the seventies. I'll check out anything he does. Uh, he does a lot of Lovecraft pastiche. He's famous for the Necroscope series, which is British spies versus vampires. And it's a lot of fun. Um, else? I'm trying to think of, I will buy anything that was published by the abyss imprint, which I talked about on the episode where we talked about silk, which was a, uh, I, I think it was a Dell imprint from the, the late eighties, early nineties. And I'll buy anything with that on it. Just a um, refresher. What is Abyss? It was. It came out as a, it. It captured the gothy zeitgeist of the late eighties, early nineties. Everything had this very clove cigarette vampire the masquerade vibe to it, and um, you know, Kathy Koya, K O J A, uh, did a lot of Abyss paperbacks. Um, uh, Melanie Tem did some. Uh, Gosh, who else? There's a they did they did a couple of short story compilations. Uh, it 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 tends towards a bit of a grindhouse vibe too. There's a lot of there's a lot of goo to them. Um, uh, Jeffrey Thomas, Jeffrey Thomas. There we go. He is another author that I will read anything by. Uh, he did Punk Town, which is kind of a it, that, that's the other thing with horror in this day and age is a lot of stuff gets lumped into. Uh, just broad, weird fiction. And it, horror fiction is weird fiction, but I don't think that that's necessarily all of it. So, like, um, hell, for a while there was this fucking... They called it Slipstream or something like that because God fucking forbid anyone write sci-fi, fantasy, or horror. Um, yeah, uh, so Jeffrey Thomas's big thing is... Uh, best known for his story set in a far future megalopolis named punk town and so it's you know sci-fi but it's horrific sci-fi and kind of 
cyberpunk e um and worth checking out uh gosh and um stephen graham jones i believe is the author uh you would like stephen graham jones demon theory okay. is uh the book and it is three scripts to horror movies quote unquote but it gets metatextual and self-referential and really really weird um so that's worth reading um yeah it's it, like i dig the weird horror thing going on now and i also kind of miss the more straightforward horror of my childhood but we all pine for things that remind us of our youth so i get that um I don't know. I need to catch up is what I need to do. What I about you? About you ready to ask, um, what is your next horror read for the month? Or I guess that's the first question. And then what would you recommend to everybody to read that you think kind of is a perfect October horror read? Okay. Um, I'm currently reading some horror role-playing game stuff right now. Um, so that doesn't count. Um, as far as fiction goes, uh, or nonfiction. If you've got scary nonfiction, that is a very niche genre. Yeah, but scary nonfiction, it's not the sort of horror that I find entertaining. I mean, it's, you know, I have a book about the Siege of Leningrad, which was probably really fucking scary, but yeah, okay, that goes not to the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, there's an anthology that I've had for a while, uh, Poe's Children. It's edited by Peter Straub, uh, that I should could probably read and get a, um, a bearing on authors I'd like to check out. Honestly, I want to go see if they're still doing the Mammoth Year's Best Horror collections because those are those are always good for some really great stuff. Um, and, well, by virtue of being the year's best, promises to be contemporary. Uh, as far as books one should read in October, I know I just said I read this, but if you haven't read Dracula, read Dracula. It's weird and it's surprisingly modern. And once you get through Lucy being a twit, it gets really good. Basically, the the opening with Jonathan Harker is great. Then there's a whole bunch of a whole bunch of Lucy being a twit, and then she gets vamped. And once she di- like once Lucy dies. It's nonstop until the finish, and it's a great read. Uh, you can f- they there's a fantastic uh, annotated edition that came out a while ago. The same company also made an annotated version of Frankenstein, oh, cool. which is worth checking out. And if you want to go super weird, the first pu- published translation of Dracula was written in Icelandic and the guy in charge of the translation took it upon himself to add a whole bunch more stuff to it and redo the narrative. Uh, So it's much faster paced. There's more sex and violence and Norse mythology and uh, ties into, I know the torso, the tens torso murders. And I think there's references to the Ripper killings as well. Uh, that has recently been translated back into English as Powers of Darkness. So it's sort of kind of Dracula fan fiction, but it is officially licensed fan fiction. Um, so you are all about the vampires in October. 
I will for now. Yeah. Um, it's, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's fresh in my mind. I, I'm, I'm sure next year, maybe I'll be on a, a Frankenstein's monster kick or mummies or creatures from the black lagoon or, or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, that's 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 my recommendation. If you haven't read Dracula, read Dracula. If you have read Dracula, then if you want to invest the time, House of Leaves is great. Oof. And you need to sit down and get out your decoder ring because to me one of the scariest parts of the book is at, in one of the appendices and it is literally encrypted. It's an easy cipher to crack and I know I'm I'm kind of not doing a good job selling it. The, the, like the rest of the book is great too, but like there is there's my my point is that even the throwaway material that isn't really necessary to understand the quote-unquote narrative insofar as that book has a quote-unquote narrative is is really well done and uh interesting. And also House of Leaves is I think one of the few books that utterly defies being rendered into an ebook because the typography is so bizarre that I, I don't think Kindle could ever properly mimic it. So Dracula, House of Leaves, um, Year's Best Horror if it's still being published, or, you know, random Year's Best Horror from a year that you were particularly fond of, high school graduation, whatever. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for your time. Um... Always a pleasure. Uh, any okay. last plugs before you go? Um, listen to Over the Tabletop. And also for our sins, we are going to be doing a chapter by chapter breakdown slash review of uh, I Laser Man's A Handbook for Mortals. Uh, we are calling it A Handbook f- for A Handbook for Mortals by it's the books by Lonnie Sarum. If you it's Google Laney, Laney, you're right. Lainey you're right. I'm Sarum. sorry. Lainey Sarum. Uh, if you Google a handbook for mortals controversy, you'll figure out why we're doing it. So until next time, I remain for my sins, James DeBrucker. Nice to talk to you again, James. So for our second guest, I have Ileana Garcia back to talk about horror books too. Um, so, I don't think anybody really knows how many books they've read, but, like, just an estimate, how many more books have you read? Uh, so, probably, it's going to sound like a really low number, but probably around five. But okay. I have, one of them is an anthology, and it's it's got, I don't even know how many stories it's got in it, but it's basically short stories, and I think it has... Um, over 20. Less, okay. less than 50, but over 20. <laughs> and I haven't read them all, but I've read a, a number of them. You know, I'm, I'm starting to realize, um, I was reading the Jezebel articles, the, their past ones of like the true real stories, as I'm like also reading it. And I think that I prefer short stories, something that wraps up quick, because the longer ones tend to eventually drone. So... There's definitely something to that. Um, I've only read... I'm trying to think of the last actual book that was horror that I read. Um, 
It was a, it could be considered YA, but it was horror YA, and it was based on the variation of the vampire myth in which the vampire takes wives. Okay. The, they're, he keeps them mortal until he marries them, and like, it was from the point of view of the girl he hired to sew their wedding shrouds, essentially. That's amazing. He would marry them, and then essentially either um, he would try and turn them, and whether they survived or lived was entirely up to how strong they were. So she was sewing them a wedding dress, but it also could potentially be their funeral shroud. Interesting. What was that called? Uh, I don't remember. (laughs) Oh, no. I've been looking for this book again for a really long time, and I don't remember what it's called. Okay. I thought it was called The Silver Kiss, but that's a completely different vampire YA novel <laughs> involving a, a vampire named Simon. Oh, that sounds awesome. But I think, I want to say it, it had, it was, it was definitely vampire spelled with a Y instead of an I. Okay. And it's just every once in a while I'll go on Wikipedia and like type in novels with vampire in the title and like go down and like read the synopsis of each of them. But it's really frustrating because... It is a tale. It's like a, it's a take on, a, like a regional vampire tale that I think is told in either like Albania or somewhere in Eastern Europe for sure. Albania is sticking out in my head for some reason, but I cannot remember the name of the novel. Um, it's awful because if I've checked it out of a library, I'm less likely to remember the name than if I own it, of course. Of course. Interesting. I'm going to have to do some research and see if I can help you find it. Yeah, because I now want to read it. <laughs> so good. It's like, and, and she's basically talking about like the different ways that these women respond to being chosen. Okay. Like some of them are excited because they're taken away from a life of poverty and suffering. But of course, none of them really understand what it entails. Right. Some of them have heard the stories and are terrified. And her crying as she's measuring them for these wedding dresses. And, like, she's so secure in the knowledge that he, she's not in any danger because she considers herself to be so ugly that not even the vampire oh, wants awful. anything to do with her. And it's just, it's, it's intense and it builds up the suspense really nicely. And I love the narrator that they chose. And it's... It's got those horror elements, but it also has a lot of fairy tale element elements. It's like a good balance of the two. I'm definitely going to have to do a search for this now. Um, so when I asked you if you wanted to talk, you said you read a lot of pre-1950 horror. So, uh, yes. Yeah. yeah, tell me a little bit more about this. So when I was in college, I took a course um, to kind of fill up my my electives, I cheated a little bit. I went to school in Puerto Rico, so it's, a, I basically went to college in Spanish. Like all of my classes were in Spanish, but oh, I needed awesome. to fill up my electives. So I was like, I'm just gonna take some English courses and this will be easy. Cause like I went to high school in English. So this is like awesome. <laughs> I took AP English. I've got this, this is great. And I took the horror class, the horror stories class, thinking it was gonna be an easy class. And it turned out to be, like, one of my favorite classes that semester. That's awesome. And What'd you guys read? So we read... So the anthology that I own is actually from that class. It's one of the only classes I've taken where I've kept the book. 
Um, this one in a science fiction class, I, I, I also have the book at, from college. I took science fiction. The same professor who gave horror gave science fiction. And so she's apparently a testament to her teaching methods is that I now have both books long after the classes have ended. That's awesome. The book that I, she had us read was called um, Great Tales of Terror and the Supernatural. Um, and it's a huge anthology. Is that a, that's not a Norton. I'm trying to figure out who that is. The anthology keeper. It looks familiar, but no, that's a really beautiful cover. I like that. That's a famous painting. Yeah. Of the, the, what they call the, the night demons or the night terrors that paralyze you in your sleep. God bless them. Um, and then a lot of these, if you go down... Um, I'm just going to show you, but also tell your listeners. A lot of them, they'll tell you that when the artists li- or the authors lived. Oh yeah. So a lot of these were written like pre 1950s. You'll have Edith Wharton's in here. Edgar Allan Poe is in here. Um, Thomas Hardy, H.G. Wells. Um, so this is like a good collection of the beginning of horror and gothic well not the beginning because both of those began very long time ago but like when they kind of got big when when our world was a little bit obsessed with superstitions i guess exactly and and they're all short stories and i just noticed that there are a couple that i haven't read and it just so happens that the ones that i have read are all pre-1950s but there is some (laughs) some ernest hemingway in here and some john collier and some jeffrey household who lived until 1988 um nathaniel hawthorne's in here with Rappuccini's daughter. Um, There's some Lovecraft in here. But one of the ones that I had to read for class that I still go back and read now, I had to like read it and analyze it and present it, um, was a story called The Great God Pan. Okay, tell me more. Um, It's written by Arthur Macon. And he was like, he came before Lovecraft and he's kind of considered, um, the story of The Great God Pan is famous uh, because it, it was... One of the first ones where, if, if I have my facts correct, and we can definitely double check this, um, to feature a woman representing Satan. Ooh, I like that. And it is essentially using the concept of Satan the way that it, the great god Pan is in the story, Satan. Even though, also, like, obviously, like the way that we know him from Greek mythology, he was not evil he was just mischievous and malicious but he wasn't evil but in this short story he is evil and um the woman that ends up getting involved with a lot of the horror elements of the story um is being presented as this inhuman inhumanly beautiful inhumanly um cold and just capable of like despicable acts um and it's it's very heavily dependent on like the idea back in the, I don't want to say the Victorian age, but definitely around there where they told these stories by like documenting them. Kind of the way like Sherlock was written, where it was more about Dr. Watson recording his adventures in a very like clinical way. He was writing these like articles and that's kind of the way the story uh, is written. Yes, exactly. And so that's the kind of the way the story is written. So it's almost like you're getting like, like they're interviewing witnesses 
for a trial is kind of like the way it comes across. Like, That's oh, really when did, cool. like when did you like when did you see her? Like, oh, what like what, what did you see her do? And it was all these these things and it just kind of stuck with me. It's just real creepy. It doesn't add the element of um not knowing if uh, hysteria, I guess, where, you know, people could be obviously making this up or something, or is it like very clear cut that this woman exists? Um, there's a photograph of her that's mentioned and it's described okay. in detail in the story of her looking almost, uh, I should have marked the passage for this. Um, but it's, 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 it's there is definitely a photograph of her that, that they find and it's almost like they can't look at it for too long because it burns their soul. Interesting. Yeah. And what's this called again? This is called The Great God Pan, and it's written by Arthur Macon. Okay. Definitely going to have to add that to my list of short stories. Um, so do you pick up any horror books these days or anything? Um, do you ever browse them, I guess? I definitely uh, do. Like, uh, right now, I have an anthology that I'm reading... Um, not really an anthology, but a collection that I'm reading, and, and a lot of people wouldn't consider it horror, but I find some of his stories terrifying. But it's a collection of Roald Dahl stories. Interesting. And there's definitely some stories in there that I'm like, this could be an episode of The Twilight Zone. What's the collection called? Because I'm going to need that. <laughs> Looking at it right now. Hold on, let me go grab it. Sure. I could have guessed it. The best of Roald Dahl. Interesting. I'm going to have to find that now. Um, there's a story in here uh, involving a cat. And the cat is a harbinger of doom. Okay. In a real, like, understated way. Um, it's not obvious. And then, like, the reveal at the end is just like, what? Like... It's, it's real strange. There's, there's just a bunch of them. There's one in here that involves someone living past. So like the body is aging and dying and there's a scientist that wants to basically save, like try this like life-saving supposedly, um, method or basically technique and it turns out what it actually is is that he's removing the man's brain from his body and putting it in a basically a, a, a <laughs> like a vessel like not a vessel but a, a tank essentially okay and giving him letting him keep his eyeballs so he can see so Through he the tank. keeps yeah in the tank so it's the brain okay. and the brain stem and then the optic nerves that's not a pretty picture. And it's all about how his wife, like, like there's his wife is involved in, like, how she reacts to this. And, and just, there's this, like, weird description where they're like, oh, we keep his brain stimulated by, you know, putting the newspaper in front of, in front of him and turning the page every two minutes. And it's just like, why would anybody want this as their existence? Exactly, yeah. It's like, like I said, like, it's not immediately horror, like, no. on the when I think of him, I think of one of my favorite childhood writers and similar to other ones, apparently they're dark and twisted and you just don't realize that as a kid and I'm definitely going to need to find this book now. Yeah, it's it's pretty great. There's oh, the landlady. It ends how you think it would. 
but it's oh there's one called skin that's just this is amazing i'm so glad i did this episode because now i have so many book recommendations yeah this is this is yeah i mean there's a quote on the cover of the book that says the mind of roldal is quintessentially nasty and wicked that's amazing so is this your first time reading it or um i've had the book a while and i i haven't gone through the whole thing so i've i've read this book and also read other books at the same time like i'll pick this up and read one story right gets creeped out put it down and then come back to it like a month later <laughs> it's like i don't think i'm ready to read another one <laughs> um are there any horror stories that uh you tend to reread every year or um uh, that you find yourself i know you just said uh, the, the pan one you said you've read a few times. Um, I don't know. Is there a, a traditional Halloween story that you tend to go back to? Um, I definitely read more than once. It's not really horror, though. I mean, I consider it horror, but it's, it's definitely... <laughs> You're gonna laugh when I say this. I've I've definitely read every year Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. That's amazing. <laughs> zombies is always a good choice. And I don't like. I know it's not strictly horror because it's essentially just like tagging on to Jane Austen, just just some zombies. But there's some really like grody descriptions in that book of like the zombies and how they you know how they eat the brains and ugh. and. I've I've seen the movie. I still prefer the book, of course, but of course. But watching the movie was definitely gave me more vivid pictures to imagine <laughs> as I read the book this year. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you for uh, giving me some of your time to talk horror books. I appreciate it. Of course. Uh, do you have anything you want to plug really quick? Uh, I don't at the moment. Um, I'm participating in Inktober this year, and I've been doing a lot of like gonna be doing a little bit more um horror themed and halloween themed drawings if your listeners are interested they can follow me on instagram um my instagram name is pangolina so it's the animal pangolin with an a on the end and uh i'll be posting a lot more drawings starting this weekend and uh okay. continuing through to halloween and you should definitely follow her because she is a fantastic artist and one of my favorite Instagrams. So oh. I am uh, very much looking forward to this. Um, so go have fun at Goth Night. Thank you for your time. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm happy to talk to you always. time for this week uh hopefully i will be able to get a few more past guests on to talk about their horror book interests for this month uh thanks again to james and iliana for taking uh their time to tell us a few horror books that they like i wanted to throw in a couple recommendations really quick um that i have read this year the last harvest by kim liggett is great We've also done two horror book episodes, so go listen to Enter Night with Gina and Aaron and Annihilation with Liz and Dawn. Um, both of those are excellent horror book choices. Uh, I've also read both of Grady Hendrick's books, My Best Friend's Exorcism and Horror Store. They're both fantastic. Uh, the book Final Girls just came out, which is a little bit of a weird one, um, but if you 
like Final Girls and want to see a little bit of a weird twist on them, I recommend it. Uh, if you would like other recommendations, I will be on Panelology's podcast tomorrow, October 16th, talking horror comic books. And if you haven't checked out their podcast before, it's a great weekly podcast where they go in all and discuss all the books that all the comic books that come out every week. Uh, and if you're like me who can't quite afford all the comic books you want, they're a great way to keep up with what is good and what is up and coming. So again, go check out Panelology to hear some really great horror comic book uh, recommendations. Uh, judging book covers will be back in two weeks with some actual guests. I thank you for your patience. It's I've been traveling this month and um, this is what you get when I travel. So uh, until then, you can find us on any podcasting app. Um, if you want to check out our webpage, it's judgingbookcovers.com. We're on Facebook and Twitter at JBC Podcast. Instagram is Judging Book Covers Podcast. And that's all for this week, folks. Talk to you later.